Alright. I just gotta figure out where I wanna start. Where I wanna start. Alright, so we'll start with Hebrews chapter one. Um when it comes to Hebrews, um, if you do your own research to dig deeper at it, most of the early church fathers attributed Hebrews to Paul. Even though there's no altar connected to Hebrews, they figured that it was Paul because of the language that's used, the the way it's t- uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The style. You know, when you can tell somebody that that's them. You know, if somebody writes something and you can tell by their personality or how the way they talk or say things, you can pretty much identify that's them or that's either somebody that knew you, you guys get what I'm saying. So through mm-hmm. the style of the writing, it's been penned that this is Paul's writing or either one of Paul's students. So it basically goes into Paulinian ideology. Okay. So in Hebrews chapter one, we are going to start off in um verse one. Where it says, God who at sundry times and divers manners spake in times past unto us I'm sorry, spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, having these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things by whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand uh, at the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he have by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be unto me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God Worship him. Okay, so stop there for a minute. So right off the bat, going into Hebrews chapter 1, it seems that the book is starting off talking about angels. It seems to be talking about purging of sins. It seems to be talking about a way that God used to deal with mankind versus a new way that God's getting ready to deal with mankind, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is the start off of the book. So before we go any further in the Quran, I want you to uh, go over to um, I said, fifteen. So go to Sora fifteen, and then Sister Jahan, can you please read verse twenty six to twenty seven, please? Verily, we created man of potter's clay of black mud altar. And the gin did we create a foretime of essential fire. Okay. So, as we always point out when we read this, God tells us he created man, our kind from clay, but 
there was a race before us called the Jinn, and I told you before, Jinn does not describe their F, F, y'all know the word I'm trying to say, the ethnic part of them. It doesn't describe what they, yeah, doesn't describe what they are. It just tells us that at this point in their history, they are unseen to us, the Jinn. So it doesn't really tell us what they are. It just tells us that they're unseen. They're here. We just don't see them. So, but Allah tells us that this race of people were created aforetime. Aforetime meaning before us. So now I'll jump over to uh, uh, Torah 51. Torah 51. Fifty-one, and I'll just read verse fifty-five and fifty-six. And warn for warning, believers. I created the jinn and humankind only that they might worship me. Okay, so now that we know that the jinn were created, oh, the other thing I forgot to bring up when Allah says. They were created a fourth time. He tells us that they were created a fourth time from essential fire. So we know that they were created from fire. Okay, so now it tells us that they were created just like us for one purpose, one purpose only, and that was to worship God. The other word for worship or worshipers are servants. As a worshiper of God, I'm a servant of God, and as a server of God, I'm a worshiper of God. Got it? Makes sense? (laughs) Uh, Go over to chapter 55 now. So it should be evident to you that even though we can't see these beings, Allah tells us that they were before us. And Allah tells us that they were created to worship him just like we were. So, obviously, we're dealing with an intelligent-type being, not not some spook, some Casper the Ghost-type thing. It's just something that we can't see with our physical eyes, but it doesn't mean whatever this thing or these things, this, this race of beings are, doesn't exist. Amen? Amen. Amen. The, the 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 one thing I want to point out is understand that they're made, as Allah says, from an essential fire. So angels are made from light, meaning energy. The jinn were created from, and if you, I don't have time to go through it all, but if you go back to the beginning when what we call the Big Bang happens, when the energy swole up and then this fire explosion takes place, which is that's the extensive fire that Allah is talking about, and it's from that energy of that fire that these beings were created just as much as we were created from dirt. So all the atoms and particles and all that that was in dirt that Allah was able to create us, he was able to take atoms and particles and whatever other uh, other sky stardust type stuff and put them together and that they have their race, we have our race. 
So, again, just because we don't see them just doesn't mean they don't exist. They are just as real as we are, just we don't see them. I keep emphasizing that for a reason. Okay, so in 50, where did I tell you all to go? 55. 55. 55. So in 55, Sister J. just read verse 14 and 15, please. He created man of clay like the potter. And then did he create a smokeless fire? Okay, so now we're talking about the fire again, but now in a lot of detail that this is smokeless fire. And the best way I can explain this word to you from the etymology of the Arabic is if you've ever been at a fire and looking at the fire, not the not the flame itself, but if you look off to the side of the flame, you'll see this wave of heat. It's, it's fire also, but it seems to be invisible and it, it moves. Anybody ever say what I'm talking about? If you're looking at a flame, it's the mm-hmm. the wavy, the, the wavy, clear looking stuff that that kind of comes up above the flame a little bit. Even mm-hmm. if you take a lighter and light it up in front of you and look at it right at the tip of the flame, you'll see that 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 heat moving back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that that's that part that I'm talking about. Or that or a better scenario, if you've ever gone to the gas station during a hot day and you can see the gas moving through the ether. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we've all seen that one. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, or a hot so road. these beings, yeah, or a hot road. So these beings are made out of those type of particles, those type of atoms. So they have mass like we do. They eat, they drink, they have kids, all this. But they have an ability that we just don't have. We're getting there, as, as as you see. But again, they were here before us. We don't really know how long they were here before us, based on our own history. As far as we can go back, we know that these beings were cavemen type people. These were very intelligent people with electricity. They created electricity through running water. You know, the more I dig into this stuff, the more I find out that we are living in an enslavement world. Electricity being produced by water, and it just gets deeper and deeper. But anyways, you get my point. We are the babies of the bunch. There was someone here before us, yada, yada, yada. Now, the most important thing about this race for us, because I don't want to spend too much time keep going over the gin and we know enough about them is go to Torah 6. Torah 6. And then Sister J. Hodge just isolate just verse 100 of Torah 6. Yet they ascribe as partners unto Allah the jinn, although he did create them and then put falsely, without knowledge, sons and daughters unto him. Glorify okay. be he. <clears throat> okay, so so read it one more time and I'm going to stop you here and there to point out some things. 
what they ascribe as partners unto Allah the Jinn. Okay, stop there. Stop there. So we right off the bat, God's talking about they ascribe partners. So we know that from in the chronic uh uh sense, whenever Allah talks about ascribing partners, it's talking about worship of what we would call other gods and what growing up in church. Worshipping something else other than Allah. So yet they ascribe partners unto me, but then who are these partners that mankind are putting next to him as gods? The jinns. So again, if if you could understand these beings to be not ghosts and spooks and specters, but rather Real beings that have the ability to appear, disappear, whatever, whatever. And, again, that's why I keep bringing up. That's why all these different religions, if you go back to their start, they all talk about a being that came, taught them their religion, taught them agriculture, taught them this, taught them that, and so on and so on. I won't do it tonight, but probably Sunday I'll I'll show you some, some stuff that's in public record, but nobody – things to look into it that, like, for instance, China. If you look into China's first emperor, hey, hold on, I, this is funny, funny, being funny, so nobody get mad being funny. Sister Rain Man. Sister Rain Man. Yeah, <laughs> I'm being funny. That's really sad, but I actually answered. <laughs> Do me a favor, because I just thought about it. Google real quick for us. Um, First Emperor of China. First Emperor of China. I just want to show y'all something real quick. Okay. Um, Kim Huang. You said that pretty good because I, I wasn't even going to try to say the name. Uh, does it show Wikipedia at all? Um. Yes. Yeah. Okay, try that. I just want to hear if it'll bring up what I want. And I'm, if it doesn't, I'm going to think of something else to tell us to look up and show you something about history. Okay, what's Wikipedia say? Uh, Ken Shi Huang, uh, 18th of February, 259 B.C. to 10 September of 210 B.C. was the founder of the Ken Dynasty. Um, I don't know if it's Ken or Chen. I'm not really sure, but either way. And first emperor of the unified China. From 247 to 221 B.C., he was Zhang, king of Qin, or Qin. He became China's first emperor when he was 38, after the Qin had conquered all of the other warring states and unified all okay, of China. Okay, stop there. Stop there. Stop, stop there. Stop there. So, based on what we're hearing, Sister Beth read, or if you looked it up yourself, it appears in history that there was the first emperor of China who brought about the unification of this place that we now today in 2021 call China and where we say Chinese food come from, stuff like that. Okay, so now, Sister Beth, keep that same name in Google, first emperor of China, and put serpent. What all do you see come up? Oh, um, 
The bloodline of a dragon, Emperor Kenshi Huang. Okay, so stop there. And you all can look this up later on. I'm just bringing up that these are the things. They don't tell us the history. So you look at this history, you find out that the first emperors, in other words, the guy who made China who what it is today, it's traditions, it's religion, it's all that, was depicted and believed to be a god who was a half-snake, half-human. Sound familiar? <laughs> and this is just one story of many nations that we know of today, from Russia to Great Britain. I mean, heck, I've showed you proof that Gog and Magog seem to have history with what we call today Great Britain. So these jinns still have existed through the ages. They have helped create empires. They have helped destroy empires. They have helped. You get what I'm saying? So we're not, mm -hmm. again, we're not dealing with invisible spooks and specters. We're dealing with a real race of beings who have the advancement to keep themselves hidden from us. But yet they've been throughout history establishing nations, controlling politics. Okay, so read verse 100 one more time, please, Mr. Jay Hart. Yes, they ascribe as partners unto Allah the jinn, although he did create them. And in put Okay, so, 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 so these are not gods. These are not beings that just all decided to just show up and be a god one day. God making it known that these are created beings who have palmed themselves off to humanity as something more than what they really are, and the humans took the bait. And until this day, they worship and adore these beings as though they're some type of gods. But again, they're, they're, that would be like me going to go worship, you know, Pastor Parsley. That, that's, that's, we're, we're on the same level. So as far as me and the jinn, we're on the same level. The only difference is they're more advanced. They've been here longer. They know how to manipulate things more. They know how to, this is, again, let, I'll bring this up. This is why in their invisible state, they understand how the universe works. So they know how to jump through wormholes. They know how to be at this place and that place in just a blink of an eye. They know how to manipulate matter so they can create illusions. And, and, and it's not just because they have these abilities. It's because, again, They've been here longer. So if you look in the Quran, you find that the jinn grow in knowledge. They learn the universe just like we do. So if you get what I'm saying, if a species has been here millions, billions of years maybe before us, they know more about how the laws of nature work than we do as we're just catching up with what information that they've been given to us. Make sense what I'm saying? So... <laughs> So, so then Allah says, and then they, mankind, turns around and falsely ascribes sons and daughters to me. So now throughout Christianity, they begin to call these beings the sons and daughters of God. So this is why in our Bible we have a story about sons of God coming to earth and mating with the daughters of men because it started being believed that you know, these beings were God's sons and 
and, and stuff like that. And so God set the record straight and said, look, I don't beget and I was not begotten. I don't have children. Now, as I tell people, when we have this discussion about the children of God, am I saying we're not children of God? I'm not saying that. But am I saying that we are not children of God in the sense that we're not gods? Yeah, clearly saying that. We're not gods in the sense of what God is. We are his children in the sense that we are his creation just as much as the snail, the rabbit, the dogs, the frogs. Those are his it sounds silly, but you get my point, right? You know, we're, we're his right. children by right of creation, but not his children by right of DNA. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Allah makes it aware the jinn are perpetrating. They pawned themselves off sometimes to be angels, and they pawned themselves off to be, for the most part, gods. So they 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 have this way of tricking and deceiving mankind. Okay, so go back to Hebrews 1. So back in Hebrews 1, and we're going to start at verse 5. That's where we stopped that. I want to go back to verse 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, you are my son. This day have I begotten you. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So the writer is asking the question to the reader. At what given time has God ever said to any angel, you are my son? So the challenge is, can we bring proof that God ever called angels his son? The answer would be no. And again, when he bringeth the firstborn begotten into the world, he said, and let the angels of God worship him. Now, if if you pay attention, this is going to, I'm, I'm going to have to show you the conjecture and all this together. But if you pay attention to the story, it seems to be talking about a being being brought out before the angels. And this being was going to be standing there, and God was going to tell the angels to bow down to the being, according to verse 6. Story sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Okay. Verse 7. And, unto, and of the angels who saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers of flame of fire. So if you pay attention to verse 7, there's two things being talked about. Angels and ministers of fire. Because it says, and of the angels, he says, who maketh his angels spirits. So if you remember I told you, angels are created from that light that we call energy, and his ministers, and the word minister here would be servants, or as I told you earlier, those who worship a flame of fire. So I, I, I don't have time to go deep, deep, deep with it, but if you understand, it, it seems to be explaining the same thing I'm trying to show you from the chronic point of view about these two races. One being made of fire, which we call the gym. And then the other being that of mankind. The reason I'm bringing this up at the start is because 
you all asked this question the other day about mail, and I, I said I'd come back to it. And the more I thought about it, I figured out there was a way I could connect mail to the temple. So I figured I'd go ahead and explain mail to you versus just like Sister Tina said, like you just go say that and just walk away. You just <laughs> so so that's why I have to kind of bring up now this existence of these two creatures, mankind, genkind, standing side by side. And if everybody's sitting there like, what is she talking about, Mel? I'm talking about Mel tells the deck. Okay, I just say Mel for short. All right, so go over to Hebrews chapter 2. So if you read the rest of Hebrews chapter 1 in your own time, that's fine, but Hebrews chapter 2. And in Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to start at verse uh, 13. So in verse 13, it states, uh, let's go up some, go up some, go up some. Okay, so therefore we ought to give, verse 1, I'm sorry, verse 1. Therefore we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we shall let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and obedience received the just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first being spoken to, spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders and miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. For unto the angels have he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak, but in one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou hast visited him. Okay, stop there for a minute. So, start at verse 5 again. The writer says, For unto the angels have he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak, but in one certain place testifies. Sister J.I., if, if you had to understand, but in one certain place testify, what would you take that to mean? But in one certain place testify. <laughs> well, um, At, at some time or another, he he testified that he said what he said. Okay, okay. In a certain place, he said he said these words in a certain place. Okay. Okay. Um, everybody take it. Everybody, everybody see it that way. That what's being said is that. What I'm saying was said at a certain place. Everybody take it that way, right? Yeah, you can use the word declare, too, somewhere. 
Right, right. What was you saying, Sister Samaya? No, I I didn't want to say. <laughs> okay. My okay. Mind, my mind going with this one. <laughs> I got you. Okay. So, as I always say, when somebody makes a statement like it is written or as it was stated or whatever, then we go back and we find what the scripture says, get an understanding of what's being talked about from a Eastern mindset versus a Western mindset about this. So, we go back to Psalms 8. We'll come back to Hebrews 2. So go back to Psalms 8. Psalms 8. The eighth division of Psalms. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, Verse 1, to the chief musician upon Giddeth, a psalm of David, our Lord, oh, I'm sorry, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thy enemies, thou shalt, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you would visit him? But you have made him a little lower than the angels, and has crowned him with glory and honor, and made him have dominion over the works of your hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep, all Oxen, yea, the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes the path of the sea. O oh Lord, our oh Lord, how excellent is that name in all the earth. Jump back up to verse uh, 5, where it is said, Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Sister Venus, if you could tell me what the word angels right there is. In Psalms 8, verse 5. H430 is the Elohim. The Elohim. The, 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 the Elohim. Okay, so according to what we're reading here, what's actually being said is what is man that you are mindful of him? Man meaning human. What is the human that you are mindful of him and the son of man or the basically mankind again that you would visit him? For you made him the human a little lower than the Elohim, which would be AKA the jinn. So this is why they can have sex with our women and have children with us because we're created pretty similar. This is why when people describe these alien deductions, a lot of times you don't hear the other side of the story, but a lot of people don't describe blue green monsters that look terrifying. They describe humanoid looking people that just look different than us. Some have bigger heads, but they look very much like us. Some have big noses, some have no noses. There's all kind of different ones that are described, but if you get what I'm saying here or what we're reading here, that mankind was made just a little lower than them. They were here first, we came after. And again, this is why that, that, that part of that group of them that hate us 
feel threatened by us because we replace them. They used to be the us, the viceroys of the earth. They caused corruption, got removed into a parallel world. We were sent in as the new sheriff to take over, take dominion, subdue their rebellion. So if you get what I'm saying, this, there is a conflict. Okay? So now let's go back to Hebrews. Questions, comments? Let's go back to Hebrews. I pray this will make sense. <laughs> What'd you say? This is so far. Oh. Okay, back to Hebrews chapter 2. So, we'll jump back down to verse 6, where it says, But in a certain place testifies, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou made him a little lower than the angels, and they crowned him with glory, and didst seek, I'm sorry, and didst set over him the, the works of thy hand. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. So for those who didn't quite understand what our brother just said, let me break it down. He just said that based on Scripture, God said that we were created a little lower than these more advanced beings, and that God put all things under our feet, and he left nothing out when he said all things. But yet, at the time that these words were penned, and I can even say up till now, we have not got to a civilization yet of our race where we have subdued all things. Everybody got that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Okay, stop. So if Jesus and God are the same person, what do we do with this statement right here? So God was made lower than his own creation so that he could die, even though I can't die. Okay. Um, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Okay, I'm going to read that part one more time. For it became him, let's talk about Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons in, unto glory to make the captain of their salvation. Now, the captain of the salvation, according to, if we keep reading, you'll see in a minute, is Jesus, uh, perfect through suffering. So if Jesus had to be made perfect through suffering, was he perfect? According to this. No. Okay. So, Jay, have you ever paid attention to this in your Bible? <laughs> no. You keep on doing you keep on doing stuff to my Bible. Okay? 
<laughs> so, verse 11. For both he that sanctifieth, referring to Jesus, and they who are sanctified, which would be us, are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, not sons and daughters. Brethren, so in other words, what this is saying, Jesus is not ashamed to call those who are sanctified his brothers and sisters. So this alone just refutes the whole idea of Jesus being God, right? Brothers hmm. and sisters. But, 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 if Jesus is God and he's calling those sanctified with him brothers and sisters, then I guess that all makes us all gods, right? We, we have it both ways. No. <laughs> so, verse 12, saying, I will declare thy name unto the brethren. I will sing in the midst of the church while I praise, while I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, the whole I and the children which God has given me. Okay, so thus far, do do, do you guys see at that point is describing Jesus not as a God? Would everybody agree with that? Three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now I want you to go over to uh, chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4. So now that you realize that the book of Hebrews seems to describe Jesus as one that was, a cre- number one, a created being. Number two, he was created lower than the angels. Number three, he had to suffer in order to learn perfection so that he would understand us as brothers and sisters. And if we all agree there, that, that's basically what the first few chapters of Hebrews brings it up to. So if, if I wanted to be devil's advocate, that brings a lot of red flags on the table for the Jesus of God idea. Because I, how do you explain that? But we won't get into that subject. We'll get into that. So Hebrews 4, and we'll start at verse 14. So the writer, who we believe to be Paul, says, Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So again, now Jesus is being portrayed as a high priest. Not not as God, but as a high priest. Everybody see the same thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, if we go back up to 
Where is it at? Where is it at? Where is it at? Uh, while I'm looking for this, Sister uh, Samaya, from your memory, dealing with Je- from your memory dealing with Jesus as a high priest, what do you remember? Ooh, as a high priest? Yeah. Well, when you say high priest, don't they generally serve the people in the, I want to say the temple, but. At the temple. At the temple. Remember, remember the high priest. In the Levitical priesthood, the high priest was the only one who could go in before God. Yes. He was the only one who could take the blood offering into the holies of holies and then sprinkle it upon the Ark of the Covenant. Everybody remember this, right? Yeah, but I I don't remember Jesus doing any of that. He taught a lot. Okay. Okay. A lot. okay. So let me let me give you the quick rundown of how the high priest operated. So in the Old Testament, according to the the rewritten book, it states that the high priest would go to a particular washing station and would do voodoo, if we would call it that voodoo. He would do ablution. He would cleanse his hands, cleanses you know the parts of the body that they were commanded to to to, to talk uh, to to wash. So then he would go over and put on a certain type of holy garment, which would then take him over to the altar of sacrifice. And on the altar of sacrifice, depending on what was going on, most times a bull, sometimes a lamb, you know what. what Whatever, whatever, it depends on the situation. So they would kill the bull or the ram or whatever it was on the altar at that point. And they would drain the blood into this bowl. And then the high priest would then take the blood and walk around and sprinkle it on people, sprinkle it on things. Then he would walk behind the curtain, go to the altar of incense and the, the, the table of showbread and all that. And then once a year... Only once a year was he allowed to go behind the, the the deeper part of the temple, which was the holies of holies, and there he would sprinkle blood upon the ark of the covenant uh, for the forgiveness of the sins of the nation. Sound about familiar, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I remind you that we've read in the Bible where God outright tells the prophets to go and tell Israel. Was it me that you were sacrificing to in the wilderness for the span of 40 years? No. It was to your god, Moloch. It was his tabernacle you had. It was his star that you paraded around. It was not me that you worship. It's Acts chapter 7, if you need to verify it. It is it, it, there. Most of us, we remember reading it, and it's just there. Acts chapter 7 doesn't do good. You can go to Amos chapter 5, and it tells you the same thing. So, this is why all this blood and ritual sacrifice is going on, but then God comes back, not in the Quran, but in the Bible, and says, when I brought your fathers out of Egypt, I did not say anything about blood or sacrifice. 
So, everybody agree. <laughs> so, uh, are you saying that there was no Aaron, there was no priesthood? Not saying that at all. There was. But all the blood rituals and all the, the stuff that we see and being told that they did, no. A lot didn't have them doing those things. Tonight's class won't get into what the real priesthood did versus what you read about. Won't get into all that tonight. But it, it, all the blood sacrifice and all the different stuff that we read—women drinking drinks that give them abortions—and yeah, I don't know if you ever read that scripture about the priest giving the women drinks to, to get them to have abortions and stuff. And and it's a deep stuff in the Bible where you really just sit down and just read it for what it says versus read it as a as a as a church person. <laughs> okay, so so all of a sudden now we get to the New Testament. Jesus now is considered, according to what we just read, our high priest. That, that clearly what it's saying, right? He's our high priest, and we and he even goes as far as saying that we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched by what we feel. Because he himself knows what we feel, so he can minister to us. He knows what I feel. Go ahead, Beth. So how do we have a high priest who is the one that goes to make intercession for us, while at the same time being able to go boldly before the throne of grace ourselves? Mm. Sounds like a contradiction. Make that make sense. Or how about this one? How come we have a high priest that goes to make intercession for us when all through the Bible, I won't even bring up the scriptures in the Quran, I just say in the Bible, God says over and over, there is no intercession. Right. When, when it comes to, 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 to his decision, his decree, I, we just read a story in the Quran the other week. Where I showed you from the Bible that Moses, not Moses, but Abraham negotiates with the angel. Well, if you find 50, would you let it? And the angel says, well, if I find 50, we'll let it stay. Well, what if you, and so it took you over to the Quran, where a lot of, I tell you the story in truth, when that part of the story came up, and Abraham did ask the angel, if you find X amount of people, will you not destroy it? The difference is that the Quran tells us that the angel told Abraham, don't waste your energy. The decree of God has gone forth, and that's what it's going to be. There's no point of asking us if you find this, can we do no? It's a done deal. So, so you make that make sense, Beth? I don't know. I don't know why we have an intercessor. So, so. Don't I have a let, question, a side question, if you don't care. Go ahead. Um, in, it's, the, it's in the Hadith, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. You know I'm brand new, like baby spanking brand new. <laughs> Isn't there a part where um, um, he's told, uh, oh, was it Moses told to go and tell the people to pray so many times? And then he, yeah, that's in the Hadith. He's told to go back and forth, back and forth, asking to decrease the numbers. Yep, that is in the Hadith. Knowing that if, again, like I always say, Muhammad being the servant of Allah, 
and Allah has already told his servants not to question him. There would be no way that he would go back and forth argue with Allah on that's too much. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, go over to Hebrews 5 now. Hebrews 5. So at this point, you realize in the book of Hebrews that it's not just a bunch of scribble-scrabble words here and there. It's telling a consistent story. It's just we're chopping it through to just to get to the point. So thus far, we've got up to the part that Jesus apparently wasn't perfect, but became perfect by what he suffered so that he could sanctify us so that we, being sanctified with him, were all one family with our creator, God. So again, if I, like I said, just the book of Hebrews alone seems to snatch the floor from under the whole idea of Jesus and God being the same person. Okay, so in chapter 5, it goes on and says, For every high priest is taken from among men. I'm sorry, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof, he ought as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sin. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So now we're bringing up the Levitical priesthood that we know about. So now we say, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, thou art my son, today... Have I begotten thee, as he said also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so Sister 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 Jeha, if you had to explain this verse five and six in your in your mind, what are you seeing? What is it saying to you? Uh, someplace else. Since this one, since this seems, the author seems to be quoting uh, different uh, scriptures uh, from the, uh, not the Bible, but the, uh, from the, from the, the Old Testament. Yeah. The, he seems to be, he seems to be pulling from, from the Old Testament. And uh, so he's he's saying it another place in 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 the Old Testament he said uh, he said this right thou art mm-hmm. okay okay so so if 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 we went to it and not for the sake of time but it's in Psalms again and it does make the statement about. Uh, it, it's actually the scripture that says, my Lord said unto my Lord, sit down at my right hand until thy enemies be made thy footstool. 
And then he goes on and on and on and he said, and I have swore and I will not change my mind that you will forever be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So this is one of the two times that this word Melchizedek is brought up in the New Test uh, in the Old Testament. One in the book of Genesis, as we'll see in a minute, and the other in the book of Psalms that I just quoted there. And if you want the exact reference, um, uh, 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 it would be Psalms. Um, but uh, but uh, but uh, hold on real quick. It'd be Psalms 110. Psalms 110. Psalms 110. Lord said unto my Lord, sit down by right hand. Okay, so this is what's being quoted. But what's not stated in Psalms 110 is anything about Jesus being the person being spoken of. Get what I'm saying? So again, like, and, and, and this is why we think it's Paul, because Paul seems to have a habit of taking the Old Testament scriptures, bringing them into his doctrines, and then twisting it just a little to fit it to the agenda, like Sister Jehovah was just saying. So, Sister Samaya, in your mind, if you had to interpret verse 5 and 6 in your mind, how, would, how does it come out to you? Well, um, I agree with Sister Laura. I do. Okay. 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 Sister Venus. Yeah, Sister Laura hit it on the nose. I agree with Sister Laura. Okay. Okay. Sister Beth. I agree with the ladies. Okay. Okay, so let's read this again. And we'll start at verse 5. So also Christ glorified not himself. Now I want to emphasize this to you and I'll come back to it. Notice that Paul does not say Jesus. And if you pay attention to Paul's writings a lot, Paul doesn't use Jesus' name a whole lot. Every blue moon, Paul might insert Jesus' name to something. But for the most part, all Paul talks about is this Christ. Uh-huh. You're right about that. I noticed that too. Paul never talks about the life of Jesus. He never talks about Jesus' ministry. He never talks about Jesus' birth. He 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 brings up the resurrection maybe a couple times. Uh, but for the most part, Paul doesn't really talk about the Jesus that we read about in the four Gospels. Right. So this high priest that has now come into play, Paul seems to call this high priest Christ. Are you are you understanding what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. So let's 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 play let's play Bible game real quick. Verify. If this is talking about Jesus because of the fact 
this day have I begotten thee. You are my 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 son. This this day have I begotten thee. Let's play quick game. Everybody, jump over to Matthew chapter three. Matthew chapter three, and we're gonna go straight to verse sixteen. And in verse 16, it says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went straightway out the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him. I emphasize this all the time. It wasn't that everybody saw this. This was a vision that Jesus himself had in his spiritual moment that, that seems to be being described here. And he saw the Spirit descending like a dove, Enlightening upon him, and lower voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So we use this as evidence, even though we know Matthew's story really is not accountable or, or credible fully. So we'll jump over to Mark. We're going to go to the same story of Mark. Mark chapter 1. And we're going to go immediately to verse 10. So in Mark chapter 1, verse 10, it says, The straightway coming up out the water, he saw the heavens open, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay, so we'll jump over to Luke's account of this. Even though we know Luke is a student of Paul, We'll look at his account of it. We won't worry about John because John doesn't really talk about it. Um, so Luke 3, and we'll go down to verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was open. And the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Okay, so go back to Hebrews 5. Now, as you're going back, uh, uh, remember, we just read three different accounts of Jesus' baptism where these words are supposedly said about being the Son. And even though all three accounts don't fully agree, one thing it all agreed with, not one of the accounts stated anything about being begotten today. Everybody catch what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So back in Hebrew, it states that the Lord said these words. And remember, most people, when they preach about Hebrews, it's Jesus who's the high priest. It's Jesus. It's Jesus that's the author of our, our salvation. And y'all, y'all get it? So back in Hebrews 5, if we go back to verse... What verse was that? Uh, Verse 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. So in those verses we read, today have I begotten thee was never stated. We all agree? Yeah. So either somebody's lying or this is talking about somebody totally different than who we think has been talking about. 
So then verse 6 again. And he says, also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, again, we went back to the Old Testament and saw that, well, we didn't go back. I told you where it was. It's in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms. But what I need you to understand is, even though this scripture seems to be being applied to Jesus or be who Paul's describing, which we'll get to in a minute, what needs to be understood is, it's not saying that this person is Melchizedek, but rather it is saying that Jesus, if this, if this is describing Jesus, it is saying that Jesus is one of the priests that is in the order called the order of Melchizedek. He is the high priest. Let me not say one of the priests. He is the high priest of a order of priests called the order of Melchizedek. So then big question is, is what is, and who is Melchizedek, and what is the importance of this person that they have an order? <laughs> Has anybody ever thought about that one? <laughs> no. Not until now. No. Huh? <laughs> I, said not, I said not until now. Now, it says, who in the days of his flesh... When he had offered up prayers and supplications and crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, he was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son. Now, what's deceiving about this is the fact that if you if you have a King James Version, that S is capital. Yeah. So it leads the reader clearly to understand that we're talking about Jesus. Mm-hmm. But in reality, we're not talking about Jesus. We're talking about Christ, which I'll distinguish it here shortly. Um, so he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Sister, y'all, look at this. I was going to say something else, but look at this. Verse 9, and being made perfect. Mm-hmm. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So, if Jesus and God are the same person, according to this Bible, God became perfect. He wasn't always perfect. He became perfect. Mm-hmm. So then, even if we bring Jesus back from being God to now just being the man, this scripture totally demolishes the entire idea that Jesus never sinned and Jesus was perfect by saying he became perfect. Mm-hmm. Makes sense what I'm saying. So we all agree that up until verse 9, it seems to be talking about Jesus. We all agree on that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Verse 10, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and are hard to be uttered, seeing that you are dull 
of hearing. So now the writer says that Jesus was called of God to be the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But God, according to the Bible, established the order of priests called the Levites. So if the Levites are the priesthood, what is the order of Melchizedek? Sister Samai, if you had to just even take a guess at it, what would you say or what have you heard? Um, I haven't heard because Melchizedek, <laughs> he's always been somewhat of a mystery because he's only mentioned, what, maybe once or twice in the Bible? He's mentioned, he's mentioned a few times in the Bible. He's mentioned a few times. But isn't it mostly in like a ref, reference way versus... Um, yes, in a reference way versus a direct way. Yeah. Right. Right. So, um, okay, okay. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Good. Question again because uh, my mind is doing a lot of jumping tonight. A lot of jumping tonight. <laughs> so ask, ask me that question again. But my question, I don't forgot what I asked you, to be honest with you. <laughs> you asked who is Mel, Mel, Mel Yeah, I asked, I asked who is Mel, who is Mel Chelsidak, and as far as what you what you might take a shot at or what you've heard in, in church world. See, now, when I think of Mel Chesedek at this point, I don't really think of the church world, I think of the possibilities, uh, for one, of being uh, a gin a and one of being, uh, because he's all, he's a part of this blood sacrifice story, uh, this, this sacrificial story. Um, right on, right on. So I kind of lean towards the, uh, uh those things that we weren't paying attention to versus the things that we were paying attention to. Because the things that we, what we were thinking about him in terms of, you know, what we were paying attention to really wasn't of great significant detail to say exactly who he was. But when I put right him on. in the realm of the theme of, uh, of this, this backdrop of all this other stuff that was going on that we didn't realize was going on, then... And, and when you say high priest, that's what I think of. I think of that uh, sacrificial, um, yeah, that's what I think now, of. Now keep, now, keep in mind, well, Sister Samaya, I don't know if you was ever one that read through the book of Hebrews a lot, but we won't be able to go through it all tonight, but you'll find in a few chapters, it starts talking about how in the Old Testament, how the, the same ritual I just described, but it's brought up how the blood of bulls and bullocks couldn't appease God. It's just, he didn't want that. He wanted something better than that. So then Jesus comes to, off to be the high priest to, to officiate his sacrifice, and then it talks about how Jesus walks into the holies of holies as our new high priest with his own blood and how he sprinkles it before the throne of God and how at that moment, it, it, it yeah, it gets deep with the blood sacrifices and, 
and, and how we're all in the blood. And, and so, yeah, kind of going with what you're saying, it goes into those details of Jesus basically doing what the Old Testament priests would do, the very thing that God seems to condemn in our very Bible. Mm-hmm. I know this is teaching Melchizedek and Hebrews in a totally different light than what we've heard, but as y'all know how I am, this truth is truth. Okay. Uh, uh, what chapter are we on in Hebrews? Because I think I'm all over the place right now. We, we are currently in chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, correct? Hebrews chapter 5. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I got where I got. Am I mistaken that they taught us that Melchizedek was Jesus in the Old Testament? Am I mistaken? Yes. No, you're no, you're no, you're not mistaken. You're not mistaken at all. You're not mistaken at all. But the argument to because that would be Go ahead. Because he 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 came nobody knows where he came from, nobody knows where he went. Um, right, right. And, but hold that thought. Hold that thought right there. Go ahead, go ahead, Venus. Go ahead. I was gonna say, um, since Laura hit a point there, and if I could piggyback really quickly off of it. Um, this Melchizedek would have been like uh, a, a, a god who lived in the days of Abraham, and so that would take you all the way back to where Tina was talking about. Of course, you know, I clearly think it's the Jinn, uh, Baal, Jehovah, all these different names. Sounds like to me. In this time frame that Paul's talking about him, he's naming him something totally different, Matilda Dad. Right, right, right. So, so, uh, um. But, you say but, but the information you gave us the other day put it really. We getting there. Two and two. We getting there. We get there. We get there. Really uh, uh, I got you. I got you. So, the reason why the church has taught and believed that Melchizedek had no beginning, has no ending, has no mama, has no daddy, would be go to Hebrews chapter 7. Okay, so, uh, uh, Sister Lord, start at verse 1 for me, please. For this, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the king and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. 
Okay. Salam. So based on Salam, King of Salam. Okay, I get it now. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, now remember, now remember, Salam or Shalom, which used to be Aslam. But I've been pronouncing okay. it, I, I've been pronouncing it all this time as Salem. Salem. I got you. Not, I got what you said. Salam. <laughs> so right. I'm thinking you right. know, when you think of when you when you think of Salem, you think of uh that place Witch where people. all the witches were. <laughs> right. 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 Uh um so, Sister Jaha, in your mind, reading that. In your mind, read that. What is it? What if you just the average reading that? What is? What would that emphasize to you? Since 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 I since I get it now, what they saying? They ain't talking about he was king of 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 a place of a city. Okay. Uh, okay. That's how that's how they they have been equating because they're saying that Melchizedek was king of peace, priest the priest of God. Right. Now remember uh, in the new remember what hold on right there. Remember now in the church because Jesus is king of king. He's the king of peace. You go to many right. churches and you got Jesus as the King of Peace. So now you connect Melchizedek to Jesus and Jesus is Melchizedek. But the issue with right. that is, is that we read in Hebrews that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, meaning he's one of the members of the order, not the right. founder himself. Right, right. So you can't say because the king of peace, oh, Jesus is the king of peace. They're the same person because now you got to explain how they're the same person, but yet Jesus is a member of the order of the founder. Mm-hmm. So and we so, now have and, this big gap on who's the founder. Go ahead, Jihad. And reading, uh, reading that who met Abraham returning from the slaughter makes me think of the uh, – the scripture where you, where you read that uh, Abraham uh, sat down and ate ate with God. Okay. Okay. That's that's where my mind went when I when I read that. I got you. I got you. Okay. I got a question. Go for it. When Abraham went to fight. For his uh, nephew Lot, when they when he went to go fight, and he went to get Lot from where he was at, wasn't it the Jen that went with him to Stop. help fight the Abrahams or whatever? Because I believe. Um, yeah, so uh, Jim went. Yeah, some of the jinn went and helped fight, and some of the jinn were fighting against. And that's why Abraham needed help from the jinn, because uh, he was fighting jinn. So 
And it's funny you bring that up because I'm getting ready to go there, so I'll I'll, I'll come back to that in just a minute. Okay. Uh, One more quick question. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Because I was just reading, Salem or or Salam in this particular verse in Chapter 1, it states that it's a place in Palestine. Is that so? It is, because you find out that Salam is, later on, you figure out Jerusalem. Okay. All right. Now I'm connecting the pieces now. I'm, I'm here. So now, Sister Jehai, when you bring that Salam is Jerusalem into play, and Jesus is king of Jerusalem, the thousand acres of Jesus are the same person. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. But it still doesn't answer the question how they're the same person, but it clearly says that Jesus is a priest after the order, meaning he's a member of the order, not the founder himself. Right. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. I'm going to read it again. For this Melchizedek, king of Siloam, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Now, one thing I am going to bring up now, but I'm not going to stay on it for the sake of time, is one reason they put this in the story is because this is how the Pharisees and and was able to get control over the minds of the people about the 10% offering that they had to give to them. Mm. That's a sad. Now, yeah, I, I tell you that all the time. Not against, not against tithing at all. Not against it, but I am against enforcing it on people in the sense of fear tactics. That if you don't give your ten percent, you're gonna be cursed. That's why every car you buy breaks down. That's why your hair falling out because you, you just keep stealing God's money. <laughs> mm. I have a question. So anyhow, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, so I know from what you was teaching a couple weeks ago, we was going through the genealogy of Jesus, and it was talking about how basically through Mary's lineage, he was a priest, and through Joseph's lineage, he was a king, and that completely mirrors Melchizedek. Are we saying that Jesus is him technically or figuratively? In in the church? No, like in all truthfulness. So it's the church that has brought what you just said up. That's the church that says this, and that, yes, it goes back to tying Jesus back to being identically to Melchizedek. But this this is not the truth. This is part of Paul's huwaki. Okay. Does that answer you or does that confuse you? For sake of time, I understand. Okay. (laughs) 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 So, 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 Abraham goes out, gives Melchizedek a tenth part of all that he had got, 
being that he was by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that, king of Salaam, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God. So it doesn't say this was the Son of God, but made like unto the Son of God. And then once again, we capitalize this S, so it instantly makes you think Jesus. But if you think about it, all through the Bible, uh, 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 um, you know, we know that the Old Testament interpreted into Hebrew, New Testament translated into Greek. So we know that the Melchizedek is more of an Old Testament figure. Everybody agree with that, right? Based on what we see in the Bible, Melchizedek is somebody who comes way before Jesus, way before Paul. So this historical figure is back in the Old Testament. So now to bring up all these details about not having the beginning of days, nor end of days, nor mama, nor daddy, but made like unto son of God, we can't now think Jesus from the New Testament because Melchizedek is an Old Testament character, so we have to go back to the Old Testament to understand what a son of God was back then, to understand why Melchizedek is being called one made like unto son of God. Make sense? Mm-hmm. So if you go back to the Old Testament, first mention of these beings called sons of God, now it came to pass. When men began to multiply on the face of the earth, the daughters were born unto them. And the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they were beautiful. And the sons of God came down and took women of their choosing. And y'all, y'all know the scripture, y'all know the story. Mm-hmm. So the sons of God, a.k.a. the Titans, a.k.a. the Giants, a.k.a. the Nephilim, a.k.a. the Jinn, a.k.a. the Naga, I keep going down the list of all cultures that talk about these beings that came to earth did what they did. Now, amongst these beings, there seems to be one named Melchizedek. Now, what most don't know, and I'm going to show you with a little bit of time we got left, Melchizedek is not his name. Now, I don't want nobody to look it up. I don't want nobody to look it up. We're going to guess real quick. Sister J. Hyde, if you had to guess, what does Melchizedek mean? What does it mean? Uh Hmm. I I I can't even I can't even look at the word and and you know piece it take it take it apart to decipher what it what it would mean. Mm-mm. Okay. So so with with that word, funny that you said that. Because Melchizedek is actually made out of two words. Malak, Zikah. But you put it together in our English, Melchizedek. And I'll go over just a minute what I'm saying because without understanding these two words, you put these words together and make it one new word, Melchizedek. We now think of Melchizedek as this person who had no mama, had no dad. We don't know much about him. You know, he just, he was here, he was gone. So, but 
who was he? And 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 if I if we look at it from a Christian standpoint, obviously from the writer's viewpoint of Hebrews, this Melchizedek person is a very important figure to even associate Jesus with this figure, and to even even put Jesus as the the, the high priest over this order that this man or whatever it is Melchizedek seems to have started long time ago. So nobody really ever goes and investigates really where where does Melchizedek come from? Where where uh, Sister Sabaya, are you aware at, at any point when does Melchizedek even show up in the Bible? When, when is the first time he even shows up? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Um, is, is, uh, is Genesis too soon? No, Genesis is, is right around the time. It's just right around the time. Right around the time. But here, here's what I need you to understand. And we're going to look at the story. Your Bible says, and, and, and we just, the writer of Hebrews just quoted it. That Abraham brought a tenth or tithe to this Melchizedek. So that would mean that Abraham mind Melchizedek had to have been a known character in the days of Abraham or at least before for Abraham to have such regard towards this being to take 10% of what he got. So this right. is not just a character that just showed up one day and Abraham was like, ooh, Mufasa, take 10% of it. Right. Because as you're going to see in the story here in just a minute, it appears that Abraham and this Melchizedek seem to have a relationship together. Now, the other thing I'm going to bring up before we go any deeper with Melchizedek is notice that Melchizedek, or the the way this story is brought out, is not mentioned this way at all in the Quran. So Allah says, I sent this book to clear up what they tried to change in that book. But this one subject of Melchizedek is not brought up, even though Melchizedek is brought up, but not by this name, because, again, Melchizedek is not a name, but it's pointing you to something else. And one thing I'm going to bring up again to keep in mind, going back to Paul, Paul's the one who's talking about all this order of Melchizedek stuff. And Paul's also a mystic in his own little order that we don't know what order he was involved in. We just know this dude was involved in some secret society. But for Paul to be able to have such knowledge about this order of Melchizedek, who he does not say Jesus is the high priest of particularly, but Christ, this is what I want you to cling to for a minute. Okay. Questions, comments before we go further? Uh, All right, go to Genesis. Go ahead, sister. Go ahead, sister Samaya. <laughs> so if it wasn't in Genesis, where was it? It's in Genesis. You're right. That's why I said oh. you're right. I thought I, I thought I said you were right. If I didn't, my bad. My bad. You know, we have my ADD moment. <laughs> oh, what you said was it was right around that time, but I didn't know that you were specifically saying yeah. I thought you were. I got you. I, was- I got you. <laughs> I got you. Okay, let's go to Genesis 14. 
Genesis, the 14th chapter. So, in verse 1 of Genesis 14, we read, And it came to pass in the days of Amphriel, king of Shinar. Now, pause for a minute, because I'm going to drop your memory about a previous class. Shinar is the land that, or the empire that Nimrod sets up before Nimrod dies. And if you remember the land of Shinar, or what we understand to be the land of the watchers, Shinar is the, or the, 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 shine, the land of the shining ones. Shinar, according to the Bible, seems to be a territory where all these watchers, particularly the bad ones, seem to cohabitate with each other. Mm-hmm. So it came to pass in the days of Amphrael, king of Shinar, Iraq, king of Elisar, Shalom, Shalom, all these names, uh, verse 2, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Sodom and Brishra, king of Gomorrah, Janab, king of Adama. And so, so, so without reading all these, you get that it appears that in the land where a bunch of watchers live at, there seems to be some type of conflict or war breaking out. Okay? Mm-hmm. So we're going to jump down to verse 12. So verse 12, it says, well, let's jump back up to verse 10. Verse 10. So to to catch you up on this story, because we're not going to be able to read all of it, what happens is you have to remember in the Bible, at this point, Abraham's nephew is in Sodom and Gomorrah. So this war breaks out. And as you just read, Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be involved in the conflict that's about to go down. So in verse 10, it says, And the valley of Siddim was full of slime pits. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. And they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals. And went their way, and they took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. And there came one that escaped and told Abraham the Hebrew. So notice here, it does not call Abraham a Jew. It calls Abraham a, a, a Hebrew. We'll come back to that. So once, so so as the war broke out. Sodom and Gomorrah fell in the sense of the the opposing army took it. And when they started taking captives, lots among the captives according to the story. So somebody escaped all the ruckus and got back to Abraham, and they tell Abraham um, uh, about Lot being taken. So verse 14. So when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, now, why they say brother here, I, I don't know because it's his nephew, but y'all know how they do. So, <laughs> when his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. So, question, 
these these kings that came and then did what they did in Sodom and Gomorrah seem to be heading back to Dan. And if you remember, I told you that Dan seemed to be one of the tribes that merges with Judah, Ephraim. But before Jacob dies, he prophesies and tells Dan his tribe is going to be that of a serpent. So Dan, if you remember in the story when we went through this, he purposely went and took his tribe and then moved to Bashan, the land of the Watchers. So Dan's tribe and the Jinn tribes mingled together, had children, had families. You, you get what I'm saying? So I know it sounds sci-fi, but this is what the ancient document seems to be describing happened. That humans and something like humans lived next door to each other at one time in our history to the point that they were marrying off, having kids, mingling together, and yeah. So Abraham goes after Dan, or the people running back to Dan, verse 15. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Habah, which is in which is on the left hand of Damascus. So now I want you to jump over to uh 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 let's uh 14, go, let's go down to 18. So you can read through the rest of this and, 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 and how all this. Actually, go back up some. Go back up some. And I want to go to verse 5. Let's go up to verse 5. I want to show you something real quick before we get down to that bottom part. So go back up to verse 5. So in verse 5, it says, In the 14th year came Charles, whatever his name is, and the kings that were with him, and smote the Rephrams in Arashoth, the Karnans, the and the Zuzans, and the Hams, and the Emans, and the Shavas, and the Corephians. Okay, so Sister Venus, in verse 5, in verse 5 there, tell me what the Hebrew word, or don't don't give me the word, just give me the strong definition of what it says for re, uh, reference. Reference are giant. That's what it says, invigorating a giant. Giant. Okay, so the reference, I guess, got you. So the reference are of the giant race, which makes them Nephilim. So even though they're not direct descendants of the first generation of Nephilim, at some point these Rephrams who are descendants of the Nephilim, that who are descendants of the original sons of God that came, are out fighting with Abraham against these kings. So again, we're talking about the unseen ones, but you see they're fighting. The next word, Sister Venus, the, where it says Aristotle, uh, not Aristotle, but the, the Carnate. Car What's the definition for those? Uh, I just was looking at that. That's the horn. Um, it's a dual, double horn. Uh, Aristotle County, a place east of Georgia. So, so at, at, at the same time, if you go through these in your own time and go through the inner liner, like when you get to the Zuzims and all these cave dwellers and 
the ones that crawled. And these are the different definitions that you keep coming up with these different tribes that are in this war. Cave dwellers, the ones that uh, the ones that crawled. Uh, the Rephrams are the biggest one because the Rephrams are associated with the sons of Anak. And if you remember in the Bible, the sons of Anak is who Joshua had to go and fight. And the sons of Anak were giants or Nephilim themselves. Um, uh, then you had the Philistines who were Nephilim themselves. And then you had the Hittites who were Nephilim themselves. And all these Nephilims, not spirits, not invisible ghosts. But real flesh, blood, bone, being creatures, people, who were over here in the Middle East, the same Middle East that we're still fighting in today, were having it out over who was going to control territory. And nothing's changed. It's just they just give us the biggest illusion they can give us now, but nobody really understands the conflict in the Middle East. Okay, so now let's jump down to verse um, 14. Not 14, 18, I'm sorry. 18. So after Abraham goes to war with these jinn and they fight and win, Abraham gets locked back and brings the spoil back. It says, and Melchizedek, king of Salem. Brought forth bread and wine. Stop. When did you ever take bread and wine, Sister Jehan? <laughs> so, what we have here is Melchizedek and Abraham seem to be getting ready to take what we understand as communion. Everybody see the same thing? Yeah. Go ahead. Some of this that's written are stuff that they just concocted and added in there because I don't know. Yeah. Abraham, we know was the same Abraham that was busting up people's idols and stuff. Right, right, right. So now, it gets more incriminating. It gets more incriminating. So, Melchizedek, so now we're not talking about somebody after the order of Melchizedek. This is now the man. This is him. So he shows up with bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, Sister Venus, can you tell me what the word God means there? This word God is El. So Melchizedek now has an association with L. Are y'all ready? <laughs> it's quiet. I'm a, y'all want y'all need a moment. Well, I think you y'all know what's going with it. <laughs> so Melchizedek is a priest of L. L deals with Ritual sacrifice, blood offerings, da 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 da. So Melchizedek, who's priest of El, comes forth and blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, or just El, possessor of heaven and earth. 
And blessed be El, who has delivered thy enemies into thy hand, and he gave him a tithe of all. So this is the little bit that the Bible, as much as detail as you will get outside of Paul, about Melchizedek. And what's interesting about this is, what's interesting is, as, as important of a figure as this person seems to be, this is the only time he's mentioned as far as the details that we just read. Outside of that, what, what Paul's description is, we, you don't hear that much more about him, and there's a reason we'll get to. Sister Felicia, you got a question? Go ahead. I do. So... Um, I think it was last Sunday when you sent the pictures of the white Jesus that they was right. you know, depicting us and he he's supposed to be Sephirim, right? Am I saying that name correctly? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Is this who Mel Chesnick is? The white Jesus? Um it it is it, is gonna tie into it. It's gonna tie okay. into it. Okay. All right. That was my question. I got you. Okay. Anybody else? Anybody else? I got a question. Go ahead, Sister uh, Venus. Since Paul is describing Christ, because he used the word Christ, and then with the Melchizedek, um, the Christ is the Melchizedek. Isn't that correct? Wait, 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 you, is, I'm about to explain to you how the two correspond. For instance, in church, I'm going to take you back to your church days. When you got saved and you got Christ into your life, where did he? Where does Christ live at? Mm-hmm. Huh? In you. Say it like okay. that. Stop playing. In you, yes. Okay. So, but, okay, but according to what we were told, Jesus ascended to heaven and was seated at the right hand of the Father. Yes? Right, that's what we were told. So, if, so if Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, then who is Christ in me? But it's not this, okay, it's not, it's not. The word Christ didn't even come about until Paul's days, like you said, basically, right? Um, right, right. This particular Christ, we are not affiliated with. This got to do with all the uh, rubbish they got going on here. So I guess I what, what I'm trying to figure out is, is this Christ, is Michelle's and Michelle's dad is clearly a. Okay, okay, but no, because it says here that Michelle's was a priest of L. But this not is identical that, to L. Wait, but I got okay. This is another quick question though, and I'm not trying. I'm just trying to get this all together in my head. Gotcha. But didn't we say that we know that Jen can take on 
all types of forms. Can they they they're very um they perpetrators. Right on. And so my thoughts are if if Jehovah can take and change his name over the years down to Baal, uh Jehovah, Yahweh, uh Cam, all these different names. Even L is even mentioned as one of them. Uh, so I'm, I'm just trying to put it all together. Clearly, you know, I'm just trying to put it clear. Is this Michelle that uh, Jehovah the Jinn, you know, just, just taking another form of a different name? That's what I'm trying to figure out. I got you. And if you remember, I say. When it comes to bell worship, bell worship can be very deceptive because depending on what deity you're dealing with, these deities seem to change their names. And the main common thing, they are considered lords or very reverent high beings. I'm going to ask you a question directly in just a minute. Malek is not a name. 
So again, just like I told you, Baal is not a, the name of this god. It's a title that means master, lord. So depending on which of these jinn they are worshiping, who are all one huge pantheon, and they all have their territories, they all have their different rituals, they reveal their different secrets, they have their different favors they do. There are some people who worship multiple jinn because depending on what I need, this one won't do that for me, so... I got to worship this one, too, because on certain days I want that, and he don't do that. You all get what I'm saying? So there's a big, huge pantheon of these things that can be worshipped, called upon to get favors or whatever whatever uh, the case is. So Malik is not a name, per se, but it is a title that means king. King. That's what the word Malik simply means, it's king. So when it talks about people sacrificing their children to Malik, now, is Malik a god? It is. Not a god in the sense of what we understand a creator, but you get what I'm saying. It's something that people worship and, and believe in. Now, the reason it's a god is because, okay, let's, let's say it this way. The first generation that encountered Malik, and they drew pictures of him. And they left behind artifacts of what they believed they saw this being look like. Have man, have bull. So at some point in history, a being that is half man, half bull. What, what do you call those in, in real life? Satars? Or not satars, what are they? Monitors. Monitors, whatever they're called. Monitors, yeah. So at some point in history, apparently, these creatures existed. Now, we call it myth today, but as I told you before, all myths have some truth if you dig at it a little bit. So these type of creatures, though, would put them in the category of the gen kind, beings that we don't see or encounter no more. But it doesn't mean that they no longer exist. They may only appear to their followers that worship them. They may only appear to certain people. They may only deal with certain people. They, I've, I've told you before, there's entire groups of gin who just don't like to deal with humans. And that's why when you call them up and conjure them, they get very agitated and angry because they don't like humans. But you said the right magic words that made them have to come, so they got to come. So now they're irate. And they just, want to, they just want to get the contract over with and give you what you want, and you give them what they want, and they go back to their world, and you go on and have what you asked for. But it, it normally backfires. Okay, so uh, uh, if you go and look up Mala, it will come back to the number 4428, Malik, King. So now if we go back to Genesis 14, And go back down to verse 18. And you go at verse 18 to the word Melchizedek. You find that the word Melchizedek is two words. The first word being Malik, king. Or Malik. So... I won't be able to go too, too deep with this part tonight because we're already at 930. When you deal with Malik, 
These are different from the Malikas. So the Malikas that we understand to be the angels or the messengers, there is a group of the Malik who are considered the rulers. Well, that would put them in that category of the, the council members. Remember I told you about the high-ranking spiritual beings who are considered the council members. So mm-hmm. any being that has that title Malik, not necessarily Malika, Malika would be the Gabriels, the Michaels, and things like that, but the Maliks, the kings, these are rulers. So in, your, in the New Testament, it talks about how we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the rulers, against da, 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 against spiritual wickedness. So these are those beings. So if you understand what I'm saying, in this, in this spirit world, there's rank, there's order, there's hierarchy, there's so when you deal with the Malik, you're dealing with an order of particular type of beings. And then the second word that comes after uh, Malik is, uh, 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 I can't never say it right, Zedek, Zedek, which means righteousness. So it would be king of righteousness. So what I'm getting at is, and we'll finish it up on Sunday, is that Melchizedek, if you study it, you find out that this is some type of spiritual being that we understand to be a jinn. And this is why it appears he has no beginning, no end. You have to remember the jinn have a long lifespan. Um, Melchizedek particularly does not just show up in the Bible. Melchizedek seems to show up in several of the books of scripture at different times in history. And this is why if you go back and look up where it talks about the order of Melchizedek, if you look up the word order, it seems to describe the definition as rank at a pointed time. And when you dig into the Bible dictionary a little bit on it, it seems to describe that what what the Jews or the people who pin these words believe was at different periods of time out of this order of beings, they would one would come to earth to aid, if you could say it that way, to aid or to guide or to turn or – you all get my point. I can't think of the right word to use, but something that would come that represented the whole and would carry out the agenda the best it could for the whole of who sent it to alter whatever needs to be altered for that time in history is what the word order seems to describe when it deals with the order of Melchizedek, so kings of righteousness. So a group called the kings, um, I wish I could go further with it, but I'm not going to hold you all night. But do you get my point of what I'm saying at least, that this is not dealing with a human being that just came and was there. This is dealing with something I won't call it a divine being, but it's a spiritual being more than a human being. Everybody understand that? Mm-hmm. And not only a spiritual being, but it deals with uh, the jinn. Deals with the jinn. And as I, I, I said on Wednesday, Melchizedek, not being mentioned by that name in the Quran, but mentioned by the name of uh, two angels that came, Haru and Maru. 
Now, if you look up, because I'm gonna go ahead and do this now. I wasn't gonna. I was gonna wait till Sunday, but some of y'all, y'all just nosy. Y'all just know. Y'all just don't know how to. <laughs> y'all don't know how to just in class and just leave it alone. Y'all just want to go Google stuff and look stuff up. So if, <laughs> so, so to forewarn you, when you go look it up, Bell tells it that it is going to not lead you back to your typical church understanding, but it is going to lead you to a being by the name of Metatron. Yeah, we talked about that before. And we brought up Metatron in the past. I just never written to a lot of detail about Metatron because Metatron is one of those deep subjects. And, yes, it ties into the Temple of Solomon and and the, the greater, lesser keys of Solomon design this stuff. Metatron is uh, a powerful being. As a matter of fact, in Zionism particularly, Metatron is considered Christ. That is their savior. That is their, and, and, and again, I'll get deeper into it on Sunday, but this is why the comparison between what you're reading in Hebrews about Jesus taking the place of this high priest to, this, uh, to give you an example. Go to Hebrews 10. This will be the last thing. Hebrews 10. Just give you an example of what I mean. Everybody's quiet, so I ain't scared y'all have a... We we ain't never scared. We ain't never scared. Okay, so Hebrews 10, verse 1 says, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things could never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For when they for when they would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifices and offering thou wouldest not, but a body, body thou hast prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Now, it's amazing that it admits what it just said, but then it's about to go off the deep end here in a minute. Then I said, Lo, I come in the bottom of the book which is written to me to do the will of God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast thou pleasure in them which are offered by the law. Then said, Lo, I come to do the will of God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By which by the by the which will are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. For every priest standeth daily ministering the offering, sometimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, but this man after he offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God, 
from henceforth expecting till his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected ever, forever them that are sanctified. Okay, so we keep going on and on and on, but this, this sounds like, uh, okay, jump down to verse 18. For, for where remission there is, I'm sorry, for, now where remission of, jeez, ah, now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance, having faith and our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and the bodies washed in pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promises. And if you read, the, you know, just keep reading on and on. He, he gets into talking about the law a little bit more. Um, he goes into talking about how there's a new heavenly way of doing these things. Uh, uh, go back to verse, go back to chapter 8. Go back to chapter 8 and, um, and and then chapter 8 talks about how God was going to ratify a new covenant. And, and so, so most of your, most of the understanding that we have of the new covenant, as we call it, comes from Hebrews. Hebrews 8 verse 13, in that he said the new covenant. He has made the first old. Now which that now that which decayeth and waxes old is ready to vanish away. So now this type of uh, speaking is what then empowers the Christian to say things like they don't need to read the Old Testament because it was done away. Do you, you all get what I'm saying? You get over to chapter nine. It talks about the very tabernacle that we just read that God said wasn't even about him. And it gets into talking about the blood sacrifices and it symbolized this and it means that today and 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 yeah, like uh, uh Hebrews nine verse eleven. But Christ so once again he doesn't say Jesus, but Christ become a high priest of good things to come by a greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. Neither by the blood goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, and having obtained eternal redemption for us, for the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers, heifers and sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your consciousness from dead works to serve the living God. For this reason, he is the mediator of the New Testament by means of the death. And it goes on and on. So you get my point that this is where the the, the, the core of New Testament theology comes from, is from the book of Hebrews. Hmm. But the book of Hebrews seems to be centered around an order called the order of Melchizedek. So if we're going to base our entire doctrine from Hebrews, 
it would be important to figure out who this character is named Melchizedek. And like I said, if you Google it, you're going to find out that Melchizedek is actually a person named Metatron. And then Metatron is going to take you back to Andonai. And then Andonai is going to take you back to El and y'all. So like Venus just said, I just want to know who, who it is. And the best answer I could give you, Venus, is a miracle realm. It, it, it is a miracle. The picture of the white Jesus. Right. <laughs> I'm like, is that and what it's it take you? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to take you right back to the very Christ that I brought up on Wednesday. Who is not a Christ, but rather some type of deity that was worshipped that has been changed over time into who we understand to be Jesus today. And again, if you pay attention and go back and read Paul's writings, he hardly ever says Jesus. Every blue moon, he'll say Jesus Christ. But for the most part, Paul simply always talks about Christ. Matter of fact, I'll quote Paul's words to you. He says, if anyone comes and teaches you any other Christ besides that which I told you about, let that person be cursed and don't tolerate them. Let me say it let me say it in English, not even dealing with the, the Hebrew. Christ or the Greek should I say. Not even dealing with the Greek. Christ they kinda of say Christ would it basically be equivalent to Meshka, which would be Messiah. So what he said was if anyone comes and teaches any other Messiah besides the one I told you about then let that person be cursed and don't tolerate them. So it's obvious from Paul's words that at the time he's writing Hebrews, at the time he's talking about all this order of Melchizedek and this stuff that he says, and we stop there where he said, I have many things to tell you about this person, Melchizedek, but I can't right now because you're dull of hearing. Meaning you wouldn't understand it. It's too much. It's too deep. It'll go over your head. And we're, I'm, I'm quoting Paul's words that we've read. So obviously from Paul's viewpoint, there's two Christ that he, in his mind, there are two different messiahs. One he's teaching, one they're teaching. To the point that he warns his followers that if they come talking about any other messiah besides the one I told you about. So this is now questionable. Which messiah is Paul talking about? that he continuously calls Christ. And then we'll pick it up on Sunday, and you'll see what I mean, how all this goes back to this person named Melchizedek, but you'll find that Melchizedek is not who we think he is. And I think Sister Tina said it earlier, you know, there's hardly a whole lot said about him in the Bible besides this little bit that we looked at tonight. But you would think for a person who had such a, interaction with Abraham, you will hear more about this character in the Bible. But it's like they just, he just disappeared and never came back. He's got his milk and cookies and left. I, so, question, I just want to say this part that, well, being the king of Sodom, I mean, not saying that he got destroyed when it got destroyed, but because he probably left out, came and did his destruction and left before it. 
the destruction came, but that right there, I didn't even, I never even paid any attention to that particular scripture like that. That's one of the ones where I just, it didn't never make sense, and I just skipped over that. Like, I don't know who they talking about there. (laughs) And they was out there dropping bombs and stuff on each other, you know? And, you know, Venus, what were you saying? I was saying I questioned the whole the story that we read about Abraham giving a tenth of stuff because I can't see Abraham doing something like that because a lot was all Abraham worship, no other gods right. and stuff. So why would he even give anything to this Matilda Right, who was a so priest like, of so Right. See him doing this, they're gonna 